This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome everyone to Sibling Library. I'm going to be your host for Chapter 23. My name's Katie and I'm joined by my two sisters. Julia and Megan. Yay! Welcome. All right, so we are, um, we have a, a, an interesting show lined up, we think. You can be the judge. Um, we are going to start off with a new segment that we are, we're going to see, we're going to see how it feels, we're going to see how it goes, see if it sticks. Um, we're we're going to do a, a focus on a particular word, talk about the definition and any information that we can find out about it, and um, help increase our vocabulary and understanding of the words that we use. Uh, and in honor of Pride Month, we are this month using the word pride. Before we start, I we want to we need to come up with a a title for this segment. Don't you guys agree? Mm-hmm. You think so? I've I've got a couple things jotted down here. Let me know what you think. First one, it's kind of kind of dry. Etymology corner. Ooh hiss. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. How about Wordle Turtle? Yeah, yes. I think that's copyrighted. Ah, okay. Scratch that. Wordle right. turtle specifically <laughs> is copyrighted. <laughs> yes. Megan's Next. calling shenanigans on that. <laughs> Next. All right. <clears throat> Moving on to the next one. Oh, word. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> like hair nah. <laughs> oh, hair nah. <laughs> Okay, that's a no too. I got very strange blank stares. Is that a reference to something? No, just like oh, word. You're like confused about something. You want you want to know more about it. You're like oh word. I've never said that no. in that way. Well, I'm, I don't usually. say it in real life either. It was a joke and meant well, to be usually. ridiculous. People say, like, word when they understand or agree. At least Chris does. That's true. I've heard both. So that's another alternate title. Heard, word. Oh, word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whatever, you guys. Okay. This is the one I like the most, but it's not perfect. Okay, you guys, stop laughing. We need to move on. Finding meaning. I like it. You like that? Oh, word? <laughs> I hate you both so much. I'm never going to try to be funny on this show again. Okay. You so, shouldn't try to be funny. That's the problem. Ever. It is. Yeah. I, I never should. Okay. So um, that's the working title for the moment. Unless either of you, do, do you have any other ideas? Did that spark any? Wait, I missed it. What is it? Finding meaning. Finding meaning. Yes. Sure. <laughs> until we find until we find something better. That's the working title of the segment. All right. So the word that we are. I think we should go with the O word. <laughs> <laughs> you like that better? Yeah. See? You hated it at first. It's growing on you. It's a slow burn. I didn't hate it. I just didn't get it. I still don't get it, <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> Oh, word? 
genius comes out. Okay. Uh, we can decide later. Are we ready to talk about the word? Yes. Okay. Word. Before word. before we get into it, I do want to give a little history as to why I thought this would be a fun recurring segment for us. First of all, we've all gone down a rabbit hole of Wordle. And is the first text we send each other in the morning. Should should you explain what Wordle is in case Wordle anyone doesn't know? Is from the New York Times. Um, you have six guesses to to correctly guess a five-letter word. And they put one out daily. I believe it goes live at midnight. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's become a morning tradition that we our family looks forward to each morning. Yep. Except our mom. Yep. <laughs> she has opted out. We had to create a new text chat because she didn't want those ch- those texts anymore. She called it a wordle mess. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so I thought that'd be fun and also while I was in college I had to write a research paper about the history of a word. Um so I thought and I found that project to be quite interesting so i thought maybe it could be what something word? that uh passion i believe was my word i actually remember you doing that it was pretty interesting and i f- had to find like reference to it in the oxford english dictionary um i found reference to it in shakespeare i believe the bible and also in the book that we had read in that class which i think really gave me the plus on that a Thank you very much. Um, we read, uh, what was it called? It was about the writing of the Oxford English Dictionary, The Madman and the Professor, which was an interesting book. Um, so, yeah, I thought it could be a fun, interesting segment we could bring to the show. So let's see what you got, Kate. All right. I looked up the word, and mostly what I have is... Um, have said the word? Pride. I think we did, but... It's been a Which, minute, for so those we'll of you that play it. Wordle, is a five-letter word. All right. So the word pride, um, based on the Oxford definition, has actually five definitions. Some of them are pretty similar to each other. The first one is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from whom qualities or possessions that are widely admired. The second one is consciousness of one's own dignity. Number three is confidence and self-respect as expressed by members of a group, typically one that has been socially marginalized on the basis of their shared identity, culture, and experience. And I think that's that's probably the definition that fits in best with, um, with Pride Month. Uh, definition number four is the best state or condition of something, so like the prime of something. It's kind of synonymous with with that. And then the fifth one is a group of lions forming a social unit. It's called a pride as well. So the origin of the word first appeared in English at the beginning of the 14th century, and it comes from the late Old English prito, which is derived from the adjective prut or prude, meaning proud. And I also found a really fun blog that um, I may be referencing, should I be in charge of this 
at all going forward if if it uh if this goes well it's a blog called uh it's the Macmillan dictionary blog and um they have a word of the day where uh and it looks like most of these at least the ones that i saw are written by someone named liz potter um, and it gives you the origin and usage, which I and the definitions, which I've already explained. But it also um, shares some examples and quotations and related words, which I'm just just going to read this out um, because it's pretty short. So under examples, it says the noun pride has a number of different meanings, as well as an, as appearing in several fixed expressions. The meaning that is the focus of this post is a relatively new one that has recently been added to the open dictionary, meaning four above. So I think that's corresponding with the fourth definition above. It refers to both the confidence and self-respect felt by previously marginalized groups and to expressions of this feeling in a public way, especially in parades and other events. June is Pride Month in the UK and across the globe and is an opportunity to both recognize and celebrate the achievements of LGBTQ people and to raise awareness of continuing problems faced by the community. The symbol of pride is the rainbow flag, and the month of June was chosen in order to commemorate the Stonewall riots, which took place in June 1969 in response to police raids in the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village, New York. And some quotations, a couple of quotations that it gives. Um, one is from, uh, one is by George Eliot from Middle March, and it says, pride helps us, and pride is not a bad thing when it only urges to hide our own hurts, not to hurt others. And the other one is from a book I'm actually reading right now, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. It says, I could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine. Lovely. Yeah. Good job, Kate. All right. Any other thoughts on, on the word pride that either of you would like to share? Nope. I think you did a good job. Okay. Proud of you. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Word. Oh, <laughs> full circle. See, it works. All right. So um, next thing we are going to talk about is the book that we chose to read together this month. It is called Live Oak with Moss. It's uh, by Walt Whitman and um, illustrated by, by Brian Selznick. Julia, you uh, selected this one. Would you like to talk a little bit about why you chose it? I did. Um, so I chose this one because I saw the cover of it um, at Zeppelin Comics, one of my favorite places. And I recognized um, the artwork of Brian Selznick, which is what drew me to it. Um, he has written, and I believe he's won the Caldecott Medal. He has. Um, and he wrote The Invention of Hugo Cabret, and, which is a fantastic book. If you haven't read that one, you should read it. Um, and he, he always does an interesting, the way he writes his stories is all the, his artwork is interwoven in with the text, and it's just very interesting. Um, so that's what drew me to it. And then, obviously, I had heard of Walt Whitman, but I know nothing of him um, so I read the description. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And I thought it would be a good tie-in with Pride Month. So that was why I picked it. Good choice. We also haven't really done any poetry mm -mm. yet. So, yeah, I, I've, I have not read much poetry other than what's been assigned to me in school. And usually that was my least favorite 
types of things to read. Um, I think I think I'm starting to change a little bit as I mature because I really enjoyed reading this and uh, especially because so talk a little bit about the structure of the book. So um, it starts off with a little bit of an introduction from Brian Selznick, who uh, we just mentioned, who does the illustrations. And um, he does he just it's just a lovely tribute um, to Walt Whitman. He talks about the um, another children's another uh, book author and illustrator, Maurice Sendak, um, who wrote Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he befriended him and um, they they got to know each other and um, he had just finished a, a children's book about Walt Whitman. And Maurice Sendak was was actually reading what is to, what is considered Walt Whitman's masterpiece called Leaves of Grass. And he was reading it for the first time. And um, as they were talking about it, um, he he found out that Maurice Sendak had been approached to do um, an illustration or a set of illustrations for this book, Live Oak with Moss. And Maurice Sendak decided not to do it because he felt that poetry didn't need illustrations because that's the, the I guess, the point of poetry to elicit, you know, its own its own visual visualization to the reader. Um, so he didn't he didn't want he didn't feel that that he sh- should create illustrations along with it. Um, but what's really interesting and why Live Oak with Moss is such a good selection for Pride Month is that it's actually a collection of poems that Walt Whitman wrote um, that was never published while he was alive. So it was it was a what Walt Whitman is known as the the bard of democracy, and a lot of what he's famous for is um, writing poems that are very patriotic, um, talk about you know how to be a good citizen. He was a um, a supporter of the the early women's rights movement, he spoke out against slavery, um, so he was considered the first great American poet um, with, with some of these works. So a lot of a lot of what he's known for um, are very inspirational and um, you know kind of call to action type type types of work. This is a very internal piece, um, and it actually talks a lot about and and describes very passionate love that he he feels uh, towards other men um, which as you can imagine in the 1800s was probably something he wasn't really putting out there in the world so it was something that was actually discovered uh, much later I think in the 1950s um, that he uh, he had this notebook that had this collection of, of 12 poems and you actually see these 12 poems within uh, leaves of grass because he did uh, kind of dissect them and put elements of them into uh, the the cluster of poems called calamus, which is part of leaves of grass. So um, I thought all of this was fascinating. The idea of this this lost set of poems that you know he he kind of kept secret to himself until you know a biographer a hundred years later found it. I just thought that that in and of, in and of itself was fascinating. I thought that was fascinating, too. I was a little not quite understanding how it was found, because it sounded like yeah. that he had cut it up and... Yeah, like literally cut it. cut and pasted. Yeah. So I was right. 
really curious how whoever discovered these was able to determine that they were part of the same series or determine that they, I, I don't know. It, it didn't, I didn't fully understand how these came back into yeah. being basically. Yeah. I was, I was curious about that too. And I don't remember reading it in the afterward. Mm-hmm. No, like how they figured it out. It's not in the afterward at all. I mean, they just, they just said, they just say who it was discovered by. Um, discovered by Fredson Bowers in 1953. And the the way that I just, they, they don't go into how he discovered it. That's not, um, that's not really what this book focuses on. It's, it is more about, you know, the poems themselves and how to, how they can be interpreted and what was going on at the time. But um, you can see in the back of the book, there's images of the actual handwritten poems uh, that came from his notebook mm-hmm. and what I assumed and I, I have not done research on this so I don't know exactly what went into it or if this is even correct but what I assumed was that this this person Fredson was you know had access to all of the archives of of um, his notebooks and all the work that he had done and he was able to uh, kind of puzzle it together and he he must have noticed these different pieces that seem to have been taken out and placed other places. And when he pulled them out, he could see that the paper fit together, like kind of a forensic puzzle was what I, again, I'm, I'm speculating, but just based on what the pictures look like, that's, that's what it seemed like to me. I mean, it seems, I, I, I can't imagine that they would have been able to publish this book or even that he would have been able to publish his findings in the 1950s if it wasn't very well corroborated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's there are other books written about that, and that's probably why this one doesn't focus on it so much. Um, but yeah, I thought that that concept was was just enthralling. Mm-hmm. And this is a really, in in my experience, a unique book in the way that it is packaged because you know it starts off with um, with Brian Selznick. Uh, and his his illustrations and he the way he describes it is that you know he was kind of nervous about um about doing it in the first place after what his friend Maurice Sendak had said that you really shouldn't poetry shouldn't be illustrated was kind of his stance so the way he describes it is he says that the drawings that he put together aren't meant to be illustrations of the poems but instead it's supposed to be a framework or a lens through which they can be discovered, which I think is a really cool idea, an interesting idea. Um, yeah, because and... they're not like paired specifically with the poems. It's like Mm-mm. a bunch of pictures that kind of tell a story and then the poems and then more pictures at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not like your typical, like if it were an illust- if it were illustrated, it would be drawings like on the same page as the poem right yeah they're so very distinctively separated yes right and and they it's the first um like i think over 100 pages of the book is is illustration and then you read um the 12 the 12 poems by walt whitman and then there's a little a few more illustrations to close it out and then it goes into the afterword well, let's start with the illustrations because after I've actually 
I actually read this twice because it's it is a very quick read. You can completely read it in one sitting um, because the poems themselves are short. There's only twelve of them, and, and the afterward. Like yeah, and it, the, and that was another thing that you learn in reading the afterward um, is that he was he was very heavily influenced by William Shakespeare, um, and and read his sonnets quite a bit, and that's why he um, he would title his poems with Roman numerals, just numbers instead of like having a title for the poem. And that was something that William Shakespeare did in his sonnets. And he tried to, um, he, he tried to have like the same number of words in his sonnets or in his poems as, as William Shakespeare had in his sonnets. He was just, he was very, uh, heavily influenced by him. He, he idolized him quite a bit and he, um, you can sense that he was, he felt a kindred spirit in his work. Uh, and he was, kind of trying to decode who William Shakespeare was in his life um, because he he has so many thoughts going in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. A big thing that you you kind of that I took and 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 felt from these poems was him searching for there's this kind of this continual theme and motif of him just kind of yearning for and searching for, community of other people like him Mm -hmm. you know he he seemed to feel very isolated and alone and um and just wishing that that other people felt like him and loved like him um and and just kind of yearning for for other men that that were like him um and as part of very sad it was yeah it was more to say no, it was very sad. Okay. <laughs> it okay. was very sad. And I think also not just he he wasn't just searching for community. I think they say this in the afterward, but it was kind of the feeling I was getting too was that he was searching for a way to a a label. Like he he didn't have a word for what he felt, which I think is really interesting. Like they didn't have the word gay or it didn't mean the same thing as it does now. Right. Um, so he was looking for a way to describe himself. And I think it's interesting that nowadays um, people are trying to, like, remove themselves from labels and just be themselves. And I think that's interesting. I think that shows, obviously, we've progressed since the 1800s. Thank goodness. But um, I just think that's an interesting progression that we went from having no labels to people wanting labels, searching them out having them developing community and now kind of wanting to step away from it again. step away from labels yeah and it, that's not across the board obviously I don't think yeah. all people are trying to get rid of labels but it feels like you know I don't know yeah and as you said that it it made me wonder how much that has to do with having that part of yourself be accepted and normalized you know, if there's mm-hmm. something that's that's so integral to who you are and that's so that comes out so much in his in his work that there's there's this thing about him that he he knows is different but can't deny and wants so hard to lean into um, and and to not have the rest of the world even have a word for that or acknowledge what that is mm-hmm. has got to feel really lonely. So I feel like you know, in that sense, maybe that's that's why labels come about so that you can 
you can you can put a word to like what it is that you feel so strongly within yourself. Yeah. I think that's important for people. I mean, I think that that's so much of what language is to be able to express what's in you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to, to have that community established and then to have that, um, you know, that, that thing about you, that's, that's more normalized and, you know, people are, people know what that is and they're, they're accepting and, and, you know, welcoming of, of that and an understanding of, of you. And it's not a, it's not something that's, you know, abnormal or, um, considered subversive, you know, it's, it's just part of the world. So then maybe you don't need the label as much anymore. Mm -hmm. So the afterword is written by Dr. Karen Carbiner, Carbiner, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, but she's a liberal, liberal arts professor at NYU and the president of the Walt Whitman Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization with the mission of protecting New York's literary legacy. Um, and in 2020, she was awarded a $250,000 grant for Walt Whitman's journalism, Finding the Poet in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Daily Times. And the, the mission of that project is to shed light on key years for Walt Whitman and the nation just prior to the Civil War while Whitman was living in New York, uh, living and working in New York, because he, he did a lot of kind of journalism and, and work with the, um, the Brooklyn Daily Times. So some of his writings are in there. Um, so I'm interested in following that project and seeing where that goes. Um, I wrote down one of the quotes from her um, her afterward that is very related to what we've just been talking about, and it really struck me, and I thought she articulated it really well. It said, in these dozen poems, Whitman attempts to establish a definition of same-sex love decades before the word homosexual was in common parlance. And he dreams of a supportive community of lovers more than 100 years before today's LGBT rights movement. And I thought that was just very well put and ex- exactly what we've kind of been taking from this. So um, in her afterwards, she also describes this collection of poems as being called a cluster, as opposed to at the time. And and I think I'm not sure if, if there's if that's still true today, because Again, I don't read much poetry, but at the time, convention called um, a collection of poems a sequence. But he was kind of one to break from convention, and he called them a cluster because he didn't, most likely he didn't consider these a, um, like a a linear narrative in terms of story. Like it would, they're just a cluster of related poems about the same thing. It's not really telling a story. Yeah, that makes sense. But I found it interesting that it felt like the illustrations actually did tell a story. Mm-hmm. You guys agree? Mm-hmm. How would you describe the illustrations? I feel like they were just a good lead-in to kind of set the tone of the poems. Mm-hmm. Well, it starts off with like a a far picture of the live oak that is mm-hmm. part of the title, right? And it slowly zooms in. Mm-hmm. And I understood that part and like zooming in on it and you could see different parts that started to look like different things and zoomed in and there was I, I don't I didn't quite follow where the fire came in. Was mm-hmm. that just I mean, to that represent just his passion? Do you passion? Think? <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah, there's 
there's a lot of um, kind of his f- hidden flaming and and fire motifs in his um, in his poetry. He he talks about you know I'm trying to remember which which one it which ones it was in, but in in the ones that are that are more um, you know passionate in nature. I think he uses the fire or the word fire or flames. You know several times. So yeah, it was like you zoom in on this tree that's in black and white and it it um as you get closer and closer you see that there's a crack and you're almost going inside the tree which is just full of flame. So he to me that's like he's he's identifying with this tree and it seems like um in in a lot of his poems a lot of what he is relating to is things in nature and relating those forces in nature to his feelings. Um, he's using those those types of things to describe how he feels. So it goes it goes inside the tree. There's all of these flames, and then um, this body of water kind of moves up from the bottom of the page until it fully extinguishes the fire, and then you're in kind of a sky scene with clouds and and the sun and then it pans back out so it keeps shifting perspective it keep it zooms in and then you see the inner workings it changes to something else and then it zooms back out so as it zooms back out from the sky you see this whole cityscape and it kind of takes you down you know different roads of the city and then you see um, there's like some photographs of it looks like it's photographs of buildings and within that there are um, you know there's there's an, a silhouette or an outline of a man standing and I believe that's supposed to be Walt Whitman because of the the large hat if you ever plus, if you, yeah plus, <laughs> and the burning the fire. fire is yeah, right. representative of Walt Whitman right so he is you know looking in he's standing on the street and seeing um, you know the 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 windows have um, photographs of you know the male form, um, and there's there's several of these where he's just kind of going around the city, which you know we know in the afterward was was part of his experience and a lot of where he was experimenting and and starting to understand his sexuality was in New York, um, and he he frequented the the first gay what we think is the first gay bar in New York while he was working and living there. And then it just kind of abruptly changes to this, this dark background. And um, so it's, it's each, each image is kind of a two page spread uh, the way, the way that it's drawn. And on the corner of each page, you see a, like a photograph of a naked man. And then that same fiery silhouette of Walt Whitman on the other page and then as you continue to turn the pages, the forms get larger and larger and there are, you know, more and more stars filling the background. So you can tell that this is supposed to be the night sky and the forms get bigger and bigger. And then they they start to lean towards each other like they're almost running into each other until they collide. And then when they collide, there's a kind of a, a burst of... Um, not sure what you would call it, but it's it's a beautiful um, 
Rainbow, it's like a rainbow. Isn't it? It's a rainbow, yeah. But I'm I'm not sure what it's what it's depicting other than you know it's just once the once they collided, it's I mean it's probably meant to just symbolize the the pride um, flag. That's what I would guess. And then it shifts into these really beautiful drawings of extreme close-ups of. Um, you know, I, I think it's two male bodies that are just entwined together. It, there's nothing graphic about it, um, but it's there, just, you there know. There are some nipples. There's some nipples, yes. <laughs> that is as graphic as it gets. Um, but for the most part, like, as you're looking at it, it's so close up that you can't really even tell what part, what of, part the of the body it is. Like, you you see hands, you see maybe legs, um, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's just very, very meticulous, beautifully um sketched pictures just a quick side note for any of our listeners that are wanting to look into this book which we recommend um katie said that it wasn't graphic but to warn you there is um there is genitalia there is genitalia that's true but not in like a sexual act but there is as katie said the male form but that is not in close-up no exactly yes Thank you for explaining that better than I did. I just Um, wanted to clarify. Yes, thank you. So then it shifts to some of the scenes that Julia was describing where you see the moon and then it pans back out from being close up uh, on these two two forms, which it pans out into a bedroom and you can see the the moon from, from the bedroom window. There's a fire burning and then the fire goes out and then the room starts to fill up with snow until it's completely, you know, a two-page spread of white. And then it goes into the poems. Mm-hmm. It's really, really powerful imagery. And I I just love the way that it's paired with these. Um, and I especially love the very last few, few drawings um, because it, they follow the end of it where uh, uh, then it then it goes to some pages that are red and then it's just super close up red and then it pans out again um, and keeps pulling out further and further and further until you see this whole system of um, of red what looks like because it's red it looks like it's a system of like veins and arteries mm-hmm. but then it goes it but then it goes back to the uh the original picture of the live oak so when you look back at the the veins and arteries you could also consider that potentially you know branches of a tree yeah or roots or roots um and it's just kind of goes back to that that whole idea that he's he's kind of identifying with with the tree so i have a question for you guys because you guys have um read other things um that brian selznick has illustrated is this artwork comparable to his artwork and other things that you've read by him yes so i think it's the same style same style he it's a lot of like pencil um looking drawings um that he mixes in sometimes with like real photographs yeah so if you liked this you'll like you got to read The Invention of Hugo Cabrera. I have that one. I'll lend it to you. 
Okay. Can we sink in our teeth into the poetry now? <clears throat> that was the plan. Yes. What would, what does Megan? You have any burning observations that you want to share about the poetry? Yeah, the English um, teacher. Take it away. Okay. <clears throat> um, yes, I do have a couple burning thoughts, and one of them might be just me wondering from my English teacher. English degree lens but the first one um I really like it's not he's not just um identifying with the live oak right he's kind of envious of it because the live oak is able to sit in the field and be glorious by itself mm-hmm. and he wants he wants to be able to be happy on his own however he's a human and humans Mm -hmm. crave community, right? So he can't, he's not a tree. He's not uh, something that needs its own space to be able to grow and have the, you know, the nourishment, like trees need their own space, right? If you plant too many of them next to each other, they wither and die or they just don't get very big because they're fighting for the same, for the sun and the nutrients in the soil. But he he's so envious of that tree because it is completely by itself and it is just beautiful and thriving. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting and beautiful metaphor Mm -hmm. that, you know, can really only be put forth as well as it was through a poem. Um, and didn't, didn't just like, uh, Maurice Sendak said, like that whole image that was in the in the poem didn't really need the illustrations right like we we just saw the picture of the live oak so that's probably what came to mind but if we hadn't seen any of the illustrations we would have been able to picture very easily a tree out in the field by itself doing its thing Mm -hmm. that that was not something that I I picked up on the I mean at least in the in the sense that he was envious um in the the second poem he he is definitely relating to the tree and saying that he but saying that he couldn't do what the tree's doing but i didn't connect that to being envious and i really appreciate that interpretation of it um i think that that feels that actually feels right um to me and it shifts then into it it feels even more organic because it then shifts into the third poem where he talks about how he, um, you know, he's he's getting these accolades by being praised at the Capitol, um, and he's healthy, and he's he's got all these things to be grateful for, but it's not until he's in the presence of his love his lover that he's actually happy and feels fulfilled. So that that just feels so organic with that interpretation that you brought to it. Yeah, I just want to read um, three lines from poem two that kind of underline that. Um, He writes, but I wondered how it could utter joyous leaves standing alone there without its friend, its lover, for I knew I could not. So there is no uh, there is no second live oak tree. And yet it is still standing there joyous. Um, Mm -hmm. He knows he he can't be he can't be joyous on his own. Mm -hmm. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah. (laughs) told you sad you're right we should have just ended it there it's sad yeah Yeah, it's sad (laughs) 
but also beautiful. Yeah. It is beautiful. Yeah. He really does do an a phenomenal job. And this is why his work is still studied today. He does an amazing job of in such short poems creating these images. And evoking um, these emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to hit on poem 10 because I feel like poem 10 doesn't matter who you are. If you've ever had a favorite. Yeah. If you've ever had a crush on someone and not, not told them yet. Um, it perfectly encapsulates that whole, that whole feeling. It's a really short one. Should we read it? Sure. Oh, you who, who would else like to read it? I can do it. Okay. Oh, you whom I often and silently come where you are, that I may be with you as I walk by your side or sit near or remain in the same room with you. Little you know the subtle electric fire that for your sake is playing within me. Oh, I love it so much. And there's mm-hmm. that fire again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That comes up a lot. Yeah, that was that was one that I starred as one of my favorites because, yeah, that doesn't matter who you are everyone has had that feeling and knows that feeling Mm -hmm. the other one i'd like to touch on is um is number 12 and it kind of brings it back to it's really lovely and it's subtle because i didn't catch it until the second reading but on the very beginning piece that um that brian selznick writes to introduce the book there's a um above what he writes, there's the word um, elev. It it's spelled E L E V E. I, I think I up, looked it up, and I think yeah. it's pronounced eleve. Nope, I looked it up and listened to the pronunciation, and it's elev. Oh, I listened word? to it like. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, it works so well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what at least what I read said because it's a French word. Um, and it means student or pupil. Um, yeah, I got the same definition. I guess I just didn't. I think I assumed because it, when you look it up, it has the apostrophe over the first and last E's. So I it assumed. does, it does. But if you look at the, if you play like the pronunciation of it, that's exactly how I would have thought to pronounce it too, was elevé. That was how I was saying it in my mind until I, I played the the audio and it's elev and the reason that I think it's it's such a neat tie-in and that they didn't like explicitly say it and it's very subtle makes it all that more special to me but the um poem 12 I interpreted as kind of a message to um men like him who come after him um to to kind of leave a legacy to them Um, so it says to the young man, many things to absorb, to engraft, to develop. I teach that he may be my elev, but if through him rolls, not the blood of, of divine friendship, hot and red, if he be not silently selected by lovers and do not silently select lovers of what use were it for him to seek to become a, to become a lev of mine. So basically saying, you know, he, he's kind of putting a call out there directly to um, 
to gay men to say, you know, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to create a, a path here. Um, and the thing that I, and that that made me look up why Brian Selznick put this at the top is that Brian Selznick is also gay, and so is Maurice Sendak, or so was Maurice Sendak. Maurice Sendak has passed away. So these two American writers and illustrators looked up to him as, you know, kind of an idol in that way. So I, I just thought that was a really neat tie back from the so poem he found to, he found the community he was looking for. He did. Yeah. He did. That's beautiful. All right. Well, thank you, Julia, for bringing this this book. Uh, it's not something I ever would have come upon on my own. Yeah, and I'm really you. glad that I read it. Yeah. Same. All right. I, th- I think to close out the show, Julia and Megan have a bit of a report out on an experience that they had. They do. For our bookend section this month, Megan and I are going to talk about a very fun author talk we went to. Um, it was at the Charles Schultz Museum on May 28th, and it was for with Mac Barnett and Sean Harris, who wrote and illustrated The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza. 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 There's just one pizza in the <laughs> Did title. Did you guys but... practice that? <laughs> no. No, you had to be there, I guess. Uh, okay. Um, and... It is a children's graphic novel that was written by Mac Barnett and Sean Harris, who is another, I believe, Caldecott Medal winner. Um, He illustrated it. And they have been friends since they were seven. They won the um, superlative in their high school yearbook of best friends or something. Um, And they've been friends ever since. And... They also claim to have created the podcast format (laughs) because they used to record their conversations. They just on on like audio cassettes, they just didn't have an audience to actually disperse it to an audience. Yeah, Um, it's a pretty bold claim. Yeah, but (laughs) they were pretty bold. (laughs) They were pretty funny. Um, This book started as a series of 12 cartoons that they put together for YouTube. And I believe it all happened during the pandemic because, you know. But to clarify, it's not, they weren't like cartoon cartoons, right? They called them live, what do they call them? Live live, cartoons or something? Live tunes or something. Yeah. So it was like basically a comic book. Yeah, they show like a still, like a comic book cell and do voices and sound effects for that comic book cell. And they have... And then, go on. Yeah. like, it doesn't sound engaging, but, but it was, they, yeah. they... Yeah, they did it for us live, and it was the best. It's, it was, was so good. I'm yeah. going to have to go watch this. So it's not, like, animation in the sense that it there's not motion. It's more mm-hmm. like a, uh, a reading of a comic book. Did they yeah. have like the word bubbles or did they just have the voiceover to the image? So we didn't watch the cartoons, but what, what they did, they read the first three chapters, I believe, of the book, um, which I'm guessing was all the same uh, 
voices and everything and they had like sound effects it was very interesting the way they did it and clearly they had done it a lot because this was the last stop on their book tour for this book so Um, they had the act down yes yeah um nice and all of the cartoons are on you can find them on youtube if you want to go straight to youtube but they also have a website um the first cat in space eight pizza.com and you can go and you can find all of the live tunes you can buy some merchandise they have like shirts and uh, hats and they also have they made like sea shanties because there's a captain baby beard so there's like all these sea shanties a, that they put what's together what's a sea shanty like a pirate song like a sailor song like it oh, has a okay. very specific sound that you would recognize if you heard it i can't sing yeah, you one because i don't know any you can find they have they have the link to either play the album on spotify or apple music if you want to hear the sea shanties megan okay. um so it's a very immersive website into this book that you can kind of see how it all came together um, and buy the book if you want. Um, Have you read it yet? I did read it. It's pretty cute. And there will be a second one coming that I don't think they have started working on yet, but there will be a sequel. We stayed afterward for the um, book signing and Megan and I went up to the table and we told them that it was the best author talk we've ever seen. And Megan made sure to tell them and we have even seen Lemony Snicket here. I was going to say, was it better than Lemony Snicket? It was better that than was Lemony, better than Lemony Snicket. Um, wow. And I missed out. Yeah. Mac yeah. Barnett, they both were like, oh, thank you so much. And Mac Barnett said he was definitely going to tell Lemony Snicket because he is also a local <laughs> author. And I'm sure they are friends. <laughs> Um, but they were they were very fun and silly and uh, they were it it's obviously a kids book so there's a lot of kids there and they were just very they're very sweet with the kids in the audience and the the yeah. question statements that they get yeah I was <laughs> gonna say prose <laughs> you can tell that they've had a lot of practice with a Q and A segment with young kids because the first question that was asked was the cat didn't eat any pizza. which was actually it was like they paid that kid because they were like well let's read the next chapter (laughs) Um, but it was very cute Um, Megan did you have anything you wanted to add um no it just you could the the passion that came out of them while they were interacting with each other while they were reading their work while they were talking about their craft was really inspiring um if you i i haven't watched the um their youtube videos yet either but i like intend to um it was just it was a lot of fun and being around people who are so passionate about what they're doing also is like inspiring and um just infectious so i I had such a great time. I, I had no idea what to expect going into it. Um, Megan just said, yeah, sure, I'll go. <laughs> pretty pretty much. I just said, yeah, Julia, I'll follow you into wherever. So, Which is usually, usually the, the role, right yeah, the, usually the role that Katie takes at these adventures. <laughs> She's like, sure. I don't typically regret it.
I'm gonna say it's true. It's true. Yeah, I think it's true. We have another question back here, Matt, in the back row. Um, I don't see pizza in the book. <laughs> That's a good point. That is such a good point. It's so oh, true. Boy. What, what is the deal? This book is called The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza. We're like 40 pages in. There hasn't even been mention of pizza. It's ridiculous. I don't know why it's called that. Uh, yeah, you make a good point. Not that wasn't a question. It was more. It was more of a, of a comment slash criticism and a valid one. A valid one. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what's going on with this book's title. Right, another question right here. Oh, that's true, that's true. So, because rats are eating the moon, a cat would make a lot of sense uh, to, to send a cat up there to stop those rats. Thank you, that's an excellent answer. Thank you for answering that question. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, we may be coming back to you, depending on how hard these questions are. <laughs> that is how a writer's brain must work. 
thank you both for sharing your experience with that. It sounds like it was a really fun time. I'm kind of bummed now that I didn't go, but I'm going to go check them out on YouTube because they sound like a hoot. So I think what we're going to do now before we close out the show is Megan uh, will be our host next month, and she's going to talk a little bit about what our topic's going to be. I'm so excited, you guys. We're excited, too. We are going to be talking about one of our favorite series, um, The Unicorn Chronicles by Bruce Coville. If you have not ever read these books... Highly, highly, highly recommend going and either reading them. They're also really fun to listen to if you... And Bruce Coville is the narrator for the ones mm-hmm. that we're listening to. Yes, he is the narrator for the ones that we're listening to. And it's not just him doing voices. They have actual, like, different the voices. For, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's fantastic. We recommend that you read... We're going to be talking about the whole series, so... What are they called? Un- Into the Land of the Unicorns, The oh. Song of the Wanderer, Dark Whispers, and The Last, the Last Hunt. Hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, highly recommend that you go and either read them or listen to them. But just so you know, we are listening to them. Yeah, we are listening to them. All right. We're excited for next month. And uh, hopefully some listeners will join us in, in reading and enjoying those those books, because that is our motto here. We read, share, and repeat. Nice. Bye. Bye. That brings us to a close on this chapter of Sibling Library. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's read, share, and repeat. <laughs>